In an interview for the launch of a new nature documentary series in 2021, Sir David Attenborough said that human beings have a duty to remember that we are intruders and latecomers to the planet when considering our environmental impact, and that the natural world, by and large, would do much better if we weren't there at all. Sir David Attenborough is not the only one. It's increasingly common to see humanity as the number one environmental problem today. People are even discussing not having children because of the impact on the climate. As Christians, how do we respond to these kind of views? What does the Bible have to say about our place in the world? What kind of story can we tell as followers of Jesus about caring for creation? Welcome to our mini-series, Creation Care and Living Out the Gospel, part of the Surveyor podcast. I'm Reuben Grace, your host for this season. I'm part of the communications team in RMFUK, and for this series I've chatted to theologians, missionaries, and people getting their hands dirty in caring for creation about how the good news of Jesus makes a difference in this area of life. In part one, we looked at what the Bible says about caring for creation, but in this episode, we'll be getting more practical. Here we go. One of my guests for this series described himself as the most unlikely environmentalist. Brian grew up in Southern California in the USA, but ended up serving as a missionary in the Philippines. I'll let Brian introduce himself. My name is Brian Martin, and we came to the Philippines in December of 2002, and our goal was to join a church planting team. My wife and I are from Southern California, born and raised native Californians. And for me, I was always just going to the beach as a kid. I loved the ocean. My first job when I was 15 years old was in a pet shop, taking care of the marine aquariums, and just was amazed at every creature that we got in. It was just a great source of enjoyment for me to understand how this ocean worked. I started studying, reading books about the ocean ecosystems and just learning everything I could about it at a young age. I never knew that God would use all of that experience and interest as a way to reach people for Christ in my future. Brian had some really helpful thoughts on responding to that quote from David Attenborough. We have allowed the secular world to take the lead in environmentalism, and that's completely wrong. And, you know, the quote from David Attenborough, where he talks about humans are a plague on the earth. We're like parasites. It'd be so much better if we weren't here. That's totally not true. God specifically created creation and put us in it, and we are a part of the creation, and it's God's design that we are here. The reason why it's so broken is because of sin and selfishness and the curse that has been put on us and on the earth. And if we can be responsible and take up our responsibility, we can actually make a difference. But the church has allowed the secular world to take this narrative away from us. But the problem with that is that the secular world does not have the truth. It completely changes your paradigm when you understand that, oh yes, humans actually do have a place in God's creation. We were created with it and for it. And so that truth is going to greatly affect government policy. It's going to greatly affect how we live our lives every day. It's going to affect how we harvest resources, how we raise chickens and cows, and how we fish in the ocean. Because if we know that we are the stewards of this creation, God has given us this responsibility and that God has created it for us, but also given us the control of it and the dominion over it, I think it would change the way we treat it. That's what we're going to be looking at in this episode. What is the place of humanity in creation? Is there a good and a positive role for people in this world? We'll also explore why the church has been slow to respond to these issues and explore how you might begin to think through how you practice creation care as part of your own life as you seek to follow Jesus. As Brian says, we have a better story to share. 
it's God's people that are the ones that need to bring that message out because we alone have the truth of how things came to be and our role in it. The secular world doesn't know what our role is. In fact, they think we don't have one. It'd be better if people weren't here. No, no. That's not true at all. I really would love to see the church awaken on this issue and really take a lead. It should be as natural as loving one another. It should be as natural as doing evangelism and talking to your friends about Christ. It should be evident. Like if somebody sees you picking up trash on the beach, they should say, oh, look, there's a Christian over there. That's what it should be. It should be just part of who we are living out the kingdom in, in this world, that we are caring for the environment. We should be taking the lead on that and not allowing the world to direct the narrative. And politics, man, get the politics out of this. You know, this is not Democrat, Republican issue. This is just being a child of God and wanting to live for him and according to his truth. I asked some of my other guests about how they would respond to that quote from David Attenborough. In the last episode, we heard from Jasmine Kwong, an OMF creation care advocate based in the Philippines. I found her response helpful, remembering what the Bible shows us. Humans are part of God's creation, and we are meant to be in this world as well. It's not a sense of which of the best will survive and get rid of the ones that are going to destroy the rest. This idea in the natural world, we talk about the survival of the fittest. So it's not about that. It's about this story of keeping every character as part of the story, not killing anyone off, or trying not to, and finding a way to not just simply coexist, but to actually help each other to flourish. And I think the interdependence part is a piece that we don't necessarily do very well right now, but I think that is actually an invitation for us, is to help the rest of creation to flourish. And that might mean us needing to step back and not do so much and stop doing destructive things, but it doesn't mean necessarily remove ourselves altogether. I think as humans and being image bearers of Christ, we are meant to uphold creation, not over God, but I, I mean uphold it in such a way that basically help it to flourish. As Jasmine says, the Bible gives us this invitation to help the rest of creation to flourish. Caroline Pomeroy, Director of Climate Stewards, had a similar reflection. So I think there's a sort of tension there. We're part of creation. Adama means dust, doesn't it? We were made of the dust of the earth. We are made from the same carbon and DNA and everything else as all the other creatures. We are earthy beings. We're connected to creation, but we're also set apart. And we were given that very special role in Genesis by God of stewarding creation. So I think that we have that constant tension. And I think we are called to be good stewards. We're called to have dominion over, but not to dominate. There is absolutely no doubt, you can't argue with David Attenborough, that we, humankind has a huge impact on the planet. We are the sort of top predator. We are the dominating species. Whereas we've kind of got away with that until fairly recently, the last century or so, we're increasingly seeing the impacts of that. So now we're getting somewhere. The Bible shows us a positive role for humanity in the world. We are part of creation, but entrusted with helping the rest of creation to flourish. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you listened to the previous episode and you think it all sounds quite obvious. Of course, Christians should care for creation. So why have churches generally been quite slow to engage with environmental issues? I asked Ruth Valerio, the Global Advocacy and Influencing Director at Tearfund, that question. I think it's actually linked in with some helpful church movements going right back to the Reformation to 
German pietism to Pentecostalism, many of these reform movements of the church and others that have placed a really positive emphasis on the self and on an individual's ability to have our own relationship with God that doesn't need to be mediated through priests, that we can have direct encounters with God. And there's been, of course, a huge amount of good, and we live in the good of those different reform movements. I just think that with that increasing emphasis on the individual, we've lost a community understanding and somehow within that have lost the wider understanding that the good news of Jesus isn't only about an individual's relationship with God, but it's also about reconciliation with other people, bringing to fullness and to flourishing and reconciliation of community and then with the wider natural world. And of course, there have been Christians and movements within the Christian faith that have had that emphasis. You think of the Celtic Christians and St Francis would be some of the most obvious ones, but others too. So that's been there within the Christian faith, but it's not been a strong note. I'm sure there's much more to explore as to why that's been, but it's encouraging that now, certainly in some of the churches I'm involved with, we see that changing. But for sure, there's still a long way to go. But let me state again that this isn't about rejecting or moving away from an individual's relationship with God, I still believe that's absolutely foundational. And evangelism and mission and witness are a core part of our Christian calling. What I'm saying is that it needs to be broadened out beyond that. So we mustn't stop at that. We need the fullness of the gospel. I also asked Caroline Pomeroy the same question. I think that we have slightly lost our way in that area of our faith. I think a lot of the church, particularly the evangelical, charismatic, you know, that end of the spectrum has focused more on personal salvation. So that sort of vertical relationship between me and God. In recent decades, we've got better at doing me and my neighbour, that horizontal relationship. But I think what we haven't really got very good at is me and the earth, or more importantly, us and the earth, you know, us and creation people are beginning to come back to and, and, and read the Bible again with those open eyes, all those passages, and, and sort of understand that holistic concern that Jesus had all the way through the Bible. We're given this mandate to steward creation, to be good stewards. Those three aspects to relationships that Caroline shared is really helpful, isn't it? There's the aspect of my relationship with God, my relationship with people, and my relationship with the rest of creation. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be doing well in all three of those areas. As we follow Jesus, it means that he's not just our saviour, but our Lord. Jasmine had some really helpful reflections on what that means for us personally. What's important is also not only our decision to acknowledge Christ as Savior, but to acknowledge Christ as our Lord. And what does that mean? If Jesus is Lord of all of creation, that affects the way that we live. We don't just get to know the person of Jesus. We should also model our lives after how he lived. And that's actually a much more difficult question. And I think one of the reasons why churches don't necessarily engage with this as much, because it really affects us. We'd have to rethink not only our thinking and our theology, but actually our actions and our lifestyles and our choices in our everyday lives, privately or publicly. So if Jesus is the Lord of our lives and the Lord of all creation, then as Jasmine says, it impacts our lifestyle and our choices in everyday life. So how do we begin to think through some of those things? I asked Jasmine where she suggested people who wanted to start thinking about caring for creation might begin. I was quite surprised by her answer. 
you know, everyone's journey is different. And I think I'm always a little bit cautious when I answer questions about specifics, because I think it's easy to become prescriptive. And I know for a lot of us, it's easy to say, can you give me a cheat sheet? Or can you give me steps one, two, three? Give me the top five things I should do. And I'll make sure I do that first. I think the very honest truth is that if all of us are living actively in this world, there's going to be certain topics that get us more personally. We're going to connect a bit more with certain ones over others. And at the same time, we have to recognize the season of life that we're in and the capacity that we have and our role, whether it's related to budget or whether it's related to capacity because of the responsibilities you have or whatnot. We make those choices accordingly. As Jasmine says, we can't do everything. So how can we live faithfully and wisely as we seek to follow Jesus? I asked Jasmine how she had started thinking about the choices that she makes. She mentioned the quote, you cannot love what you don't see as a place to get started. It can be very overwhelming to try starting to think about solving this from a macro level perspective, as if you have to look with a bird's eye and see all of the problems on the earth. It's too much. So I think the part to begin is to say, where is there a little bit of a fire burning in you that sparks some interest? What kind of topic sort of gets you going? We have to begin there and to nurture it. You need to start somewhere where you can dig a little deeper. It's impossible to try to tackle every single ecological issue out there. We should choose something that we already feel a resonance towards because it will be natural for you to care a little bit more. So if you're really into taking hikes and you really like going trail running or something like that, then maybe you're going to go focus a little bit on the forest. Or if you're a bird watcher, yeah, those kinds of habitats where birds stay, you're going to pay attention to a little bit more. Or like myself, as I mentioned, if you're a diver, you're going to pay a little bit more attention to water-related issues. If you're a chef, if you're a cook, if the thinking about your kitchen is a good place to start. But if you're a fashion designer, if you care about clothing and materials, then maybe you think about where are you purchasing your material from when you buy materials to sew? Or if you go shopping, and where's the ethical practices of these places? So the list goes on. I think you just have to find a space that you already have a bit of interest in and think of some of the connections around that place, because then you might be able to discover another issue from that area of interest of yours. And then at the same time, I think if especially people living in the urban centers, it's very easy to feel very disconnected, not necessarily to the human part of creation, but especially to the nature part of creation. So I think the time that we can spend also being in the same space, not just for a consumptive purpose, but for an appreciation purpose, cultivating a sense of awe and wonder, having a childlike wonder and discover and explore, get excited and curious. We need to recover that sense of play, I think, sometimes in our interaction. I think Jasmine picks up on something really helpful there. As Christians, we have a better story to tell about the world and our place in it. We are loved by and can know its creator and ours. But when we get talking about caring for creation, it can feel like from the secular narratives that we hear around us on social media and in the news, about the environment there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. So there's something freeing about taking a closer look at the things that we care about and considering how to live for Jesus in that area. Back to Jasmine. Having that curiosity to say, maybe I'll make a connection point to trace where does my waste go or something like that. But just something as connected to our daily lives, something that's linked with something that we do in our everyday, we begin with that and press into it and not think of it as something minuscule and worthless. Because it, in the end, I think it's not so much about how much we do outwardly. It's not a performance. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves with who's doing more. I think in the end, it really comes down to what we make the most of in our sense of responsibility within our sphere of influence and within our capacity. Not as a way to excuse ourselves, but I'm saying as a way to motivate us. We start from places that we can contribute. I asked Jasmine what that looked like for her personally. 
One of the areas that I do try to pay attention to is the food that I eat, the food that I cook at home, where I buy things, and when I'm even out with people. Just thinking about that a lot, the thinking part, but then also where I can make the action to support small-scale farmers, or where I can draw attention to people who are using practices that are fair to the land, to the workers. That means something to me. Celebrating places that the food is not traveling very far to eat in season. To not just say I want to eat this and then I just buy it online and expect it to be delivered and shipped and in perfect condition for me the next day. But to say maybe I have to wait a few months and maybe I get a vegetable that doesn't look so pretty, but that's normal because other animals are also trying to survive and eat off of them as well. So if there's a bite off of it and it's a bug is inside, it's like that's okay. We're coexisting. Desmond explained that that's meant shopping at a local cooperative store that sources their ingredients from local small-scale farmers. But she also acknowledged some of the challenges in this area. A lot of the reasons why people say that I don't do it is either that those types of food retailers are not close by, so we can have a whole conversation about the challenge of food deserts in certain cities. So that's a reality, and of course, the big one for a lot of people is economics. It's a very big challenge, but the issue of human health and the food cost is only scraping the surface of the issue of the food system and the food industry that we currently have generally around the world. Because when there is a cut of economic cost to the food that we purchase, there's going to be a Cost somewhere else. Either it's human health, or if not, it'll be animal welfare. It'll be the health of the land or the rights of farmers. So it's a significant issue. But for me, being able to make some choices, yeah, where I may pay a little bit more of my full month budget into food, at least for the choices that I'm making, I get to support small business. I get to ensure that the animals that I'm eating from are healthy. You know, they say they have all happy days except one. As Jasmine shared, there are no simple solutions, but I found her advice really helpful. Start somewhere you have an interest in. Be curious. Consider the all-round impact on the environment and people and the choices that you make. Food is a really key area to think about. Another might be where does our waste go? That's something that I looked into fairly recently. I didn't really know what happened to the things that I chucked away at home. And it's really interesting to think about where those things go. Just a brief interruption to remind you that we love hearing from our listeners. So why not drop us an email, uk.podcast at omfmail.com or follow us on Instagram, we're at surveysyourpodcast. Leave us a comment or send us a DM if you've got questions about today's episode or suggestions for things we could cover at another time. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and do leave us a review. That helps raise the profile of the podcast, meaning that others get to hear all the things that you're enjoying too. Well, that's enough of an interruption. Let's get back to today's conversation. Another area to think about is our carbon footprint. One of my guests was very well placed to talk about that. Caroline Pomeroy, as I've mentioned, is the director of Climate Stewards, an organisation helping charities and churches reduce and offset their carbon emissions. I asked her about where you might begin with some practical actions. I think it's good to do a bit of a stock take. You could start by measuring your carbon footprint. I think a lot of people aren't very aware of what that even looks like. It's a strange idea to measure your footprint or to my, the carbon emissions that I or my family are responsible for. If you want to, you can go on the Climate Stewards website. We have a carbon footprint calculator, which you can fill in. It's free to use. It just helps you work through all the different areas of your life. So your travel, your household energy, your food, your waste, your water, any other expenditure. And you can add all that up over a year or a month, whatever you want to do, and work out what what is my carbon footprint and that's quite a good way to get an initial picture of, of where you're at. 
Now, carbon offsetting has been in the news a lot over the last few years. So I asked Caroline about how it works and some of the criticisms of carbon offsetting. There is this criticism that carbon offsetting is just like papal indulgences. You know, you pay someone else to do your, your offsetting and you keep doing what you were doing in the first place. What we would argue, and increasingly I would say that this is happening across the board, is that there is tighter regulation on how that works and companies are being required to report carefully on their emissions. And they're also being required to reduce, 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 and then offset the rest. So it's not about keeping going with what you're doing and just offsetting to sort of assuage your guilt. It's not a license to pollute. It's part of a process to become carbon neutral or net zero, whatever you call it, where you are constantly reviewing your carbon emissions, you're taking action to reduce them, you're investing in clean, green technology, you're offsetting what you can't reduce at that point in time, you're reviewing it next year, you're talking about it to your community, your stakeholders, and then you're coming back and doing it again the following year. So it's a cycle of reduction. That's what it should be. That's certainly what we at Climate Stewards recommend. And that is what is increasingly happening nationally and internationally. There are lots of different areas we could explore. For example, how much do you think about where your bank invests your money? And that's probably worth thinking about, not just from the point of view of the environment, but also in terms of the kinds of industries that maybe your bank is investing your money in. There are increasingly more ethical banking options to consider, which can be better for people and the environment. Transport is another big area to think about. Electric cars can seem like a great creation-friendly kind of option, yet there are trade-offs to consider. What about the impact of scrapping your existing car? or the natural resources needed for your new electric car? I asked Caroline about this. Really good question. And actually, it's very relevant to me because we have exactly this dilemma. We have a diesel car, which we bought because we were told it was green. Then all that research about particulates came along and it turns out that it's not so green. We haven't yet replaced it because I work from home. My husband works from home. We like our bicycles. We don't drive many miles and we've sort of done the maths And we've worked out that to get rid of our diesel car, we'd probably sell it to someone who drove it far more miles and would actually cause more environmental damage. We would then go and buy a new or secondhand electric car, which has a lot of embodied emissions, as you described. So for us, the decision has been that our next car will be electric, but we haven't got there yet. I hope that by the time we get to our next car, there might be all sorts of other options like autonomous cars or shared cars or, you know, there'll be all sorts of other options. So I have got an electric car and I'm fully aware of all the issues around rare earths and lithium and cobalt and the huge problems that are in there. That really shows us that there is no car that is good. That's Ruth Valerio again. She pointed out there are often compromises to be made. She concluded... In general, I think it's about developing a kind of ethical nose and ethical instinct. So none of us can know everything about every single product, but we can kind of get to know some of the things that might be red flags. And you can probably begin to guess when you're looking at something, what might be better and what might not be. But to do that, you need to do a bit of reading and just learning about some things. These things are complicated. I'm not going to try and pretend that they're not. We live in a complex, globalised world. But that shouldn't put us off trying to do things. So I hope you can see by now, none of these issues are simple. There are no simple solutions or easy answers. The answer to whether you should get an electric car or not really does seem to depend on your situation and how you weigh up some of those different issues. We should also talk about flying. As OMF is an international organisation committed to sending people around the world to reach East Asian people, it's an important topic for us to think about. Should we stop flying? I asked my colleague Jasmine about this and how we might begin to think through some of these things as an organisation. 
So I think it's a question a lot of organizations and groups and people, individuals are thinking about right now. I think the pandemic has caused a lot of people to self-evaluate, look in the mirror and just reprioritize. It's a way for us to be able to think of both and solutions rather than an either or and to be able to consider more onto our plate in a creative way. And yeah, that might mean that we need to rethink how global we do things rather than things being at certain scales at the international level. Perhaps there has to be a bit more attention to things at the local or regional level or just being able to think about our capacity and our spheres of influence. And I think in addition to the organization itself, where we may have to then make decisions that affect, say, our operations, I think, again, it's the invitation where people are, individuals are part of organizations. So it's also a chance for the individuals who make up the organization to rethink, for example, how our lifestyles are lived. We may not just on the outside face of the org need to change, but inwardly. So privately, we might be thinking about our consumption habits. Do we think about paying fair prices to farmers? Do we consider the welfare? animals? Do we remember the health of the land? It's basically saying, let's integrate our faith in how we live in all aspects of our lives, not just the parts that we call spiritual. Like Jasmine says, that's really the key theme of this episode, that it's important to connect all aspects of our lives to following Jesus, whether that's personally or professionally. Now we've called this series Creation Care and Living Out the Gospel. So let's take a look at how caring for God's world can bring opportunities to introduce people to the Creator. Caroline told me a great story about how she'd been able to do that. I remember years ago going on a, one of the very early climate marches in London. I went on a bus with people from my town. Froome is my local town, so we were on the bus with Sustainable Froome, going to protest to the government about their climate policies or lack of them. And I was walking down Piccadilly with my homemade banner, and I was chatting to my friend I was on the bus with, and she looked around, and all the other banners she could see, she could see Tear Fund, she could see Operation Noah, she could see CAFOD, she could see Christian Aid, all talking about the climate, just by chance. We weren't in the sort of faith block, but that's where we were. And she sort of said, that's really extraordinary. I had no idea that Christians cared about this stuff. She said, I've never come across Christians or churches that talk about it. She said, if I was a Christian, this would be the most obvious thing in the world to do, to look after the world that God had created. But I've never heard Christians talking about it. And I'm so glad, she said to me and my friend, my other Christian friend, she said, I'm so glad I've met you because finally I can see some Christians who are doing this. Isn't that a wonderful story? In working on environmental issues and caring for creation, there are opportunities to engage with people and find common ground and help them meet Jesus. Caroline also highlighted a really wonderful quote from the evangelist Rob Frost, who died a few years ago. When Christians take the earth seriously, then the world will take the gospel seriously. It's a really good quote, and it sounds great in theory, doesn't it? But what does it look like in practice? That's what we'll take a look at in the next episode, which I hope you join us for. In that, we'll be looking at two projects in the Philippines about how creation care and the gospel really do go together. Now, we're going to wrap up this second episode there. Do make sure, if you're not already, that you're subscribed to the Surveyor podcast and that you follow us on Instagram so you don't miss the next episode. We'd also love it if you could share this episode with a friend or a colleague. It could be a really great way to start a conversation. We'd also love to hear from you and hear your thoughts about this do drop us a message on instagram or send us an email at uk.podcast at rmfmail.com see you next time